Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's January 21st, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today again uh, by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Blake, how are you doing? Hey there. How's everybody else doing? Good, good. It's 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 been a minute. You feeling better? Oh yes, yeah, so much better. What a wonderful good. time to be back on a podcast. Yes, big thanks to Frank for uh, filling in for you last week. Um, we got a we got a good story for you this week. Uh, we're we're um, we're talking about the NHTSA determining that the sudden acceleration complaints in Tesla vehicles were due to driver error. Uh, but but uh, just to get into some programming notes here, just want to remind everyone that the registration is open for the healthcare symposium. It's going to be virtual this year. Uh, check your emails for that in uh, for that. Check your inbox for that email, um, or you can go to the HFES website to sign up there. Uh, Blake, what's been going on in your world for the past couple weeks? Um, I I'm hesitant because I feel like my banter has nothing to do with human factors, and I. I wonder if it's going to bore some of the listeners, but I'm going to do it anyway. Granted, go do it. So yesterday, I I subscribed to a drum clinic slash like drum lessons that I take online with a guy called Matt Grainer, and he's the drummer from August Burns Red. Great guy, really really fun platform to be a part of. And every week they have like a drummer hangout, which is something that I've never been a part of. It's it's kind of like sometimes people are sharing drum licks, sometimes people are just asking questions. But also through Zoom, Matt will get some of his industry pals to come on. And one last night was probably my favorite drummer and who I try to emulate the most in terms of like energy and grooves and stuff like that. And it was just kind of a shock and awe moment that I don't know if I've ever had in my entire life. Because I've met like people from bands that I really like, but listening to this guy talk about drums last night was insane. And I, I was just really thankful for the ability to be able to do something like that through the internet. It's not something that I think like yeah. five or ten years ago I would have been able to even dream of doing. Um, but it was kind of nuts. Would, would you say you got a little star shocked or, uh, what's, what's the word? Uh, I, yeah, I was definitely starstruck 110%. Starstruck. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like asking a question about grooves and I stuttered all the way through it. Not that that's any surprise to anybody who listens to this podcast and listens to me read the news, but it was just a funny <laughs> moment <laughs> where I'm sitting here talking to this guy who I like, I in some ways idolize, right? I'm not a big fan of that word. Uh, but it's just a normal dude that plays drums. It was ama- it was amazing. Um, so that's that's kind of what's been going on in my world. The other thing that I really have enjoyed, I didn't realize this was a thing, from from this guy's band who's Matt Halpern. He plays in Periphery. Periphery actually releases all of their album stems. So and I didn't know that that was even a thing that bands would do. But these guys are much more on the cutting edge. So it's been really fun for me to like dissect some of his drum parts. Um, away from a lot of the original music. So it's been uh, a really fun kind of experience over the past kind of week and a half, kind of playing both, like playing drums, trying to figure out drum parts, but also playing producer in the background. Um, so yeah, I mean, lots of fun stuff. Not so much, you know, human factors focused. Um, but anyway, Nick, what have you been up to, man? Hey, man, that's great. I'm Even though it's not human factors focused, I love to hear that you're having a good time uh, in this crazy world. Um yeah, and, and remind me at the end of the show to to talk about a funny starstruck moment. Uh, you and I need to have a chat. Nice. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited now. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I So, obviously, with the new year, a lot of people go through their whole New Year's resolutions. Um, and, you know, over the last year, it's been weird because, you know, putting it lightly, we've been through a pandemic. Um, and... You know, at least in my personal life, I've kind of given myself a lot of leeway to uh, slack on um, personal health. And um, so so obviously with the new year, it's a new chance, uh, new outlook on life, whatever you want to say. I I've given them a shout out before. I'm going to give them a shout out again. But here's my annual shout out to BodBot. Uh, that is such a phenomenal program um, that offers... Uh, a lot of really great things at the free tier um, for its user base. And I've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll mention briefly what it is, is basically an AI-driven solution to 
improving your uh, to, to doing workouts and lifting and all that stuff. So so exercise, right? It's an AI driven uh, solution to it. And what you do is um, you put in like, hey, my goal is to build muscle, lose fat. And, you know, it, it takes that into account or like tone my muscles. It takes that into account. And then it, you say how long you want to work for on which days. It will give you a set of workouts. If you don't like a specific workout, uh, you can replace it with one that will do another thing from that specific um, uh, muscle group. And uh, so, so you're not like losing out on it. You're just doing something different. You can also specify, I like a lot of variety in my workouts or I like the same thing every day. Um, and you can specify what equipment you have. You can say, I have a bench. You can say, I have adjustable dumbbells. You can say, I have, uh, you know, a rack. And so there's a lot of flexibility with what it gives you. And obviously it'll give you more things if you say you have more things around the house. Um, but like, I just, it's, it's great because after every workout, it'll ask you, or after every set, it'll say, how was that? Was that about right? Was that too hard? Was that too easy? And if it was too easy, then they'll up the difficulty. If it was too hard, it'll keep it at that difficulty, um, you know, and, and try to push you. Uh, or if it says, it'll, if you say you're maxed out, like you can't do any more, it'll lower it. I just think it's phenomenal. And it, it, for, for someone like me that just does not care to um, plan out all my exercises and keep track of all my things, I just, I love it so much because it's just, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I'll feel better about myself because of it. Uh, so annual shout out to BodBot. I'll put a link in the description below. We don't make anything off of it. But it's it's just a, a phenomenal tool for people that just like to be told what to do um, when it comes to certain things, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I totally get that. I use one called Train Heroic. And I use a specific guy's programming named Matt Vincent. And it's been super helpful because I've always wanted to track things a little bit more um, strictly in terms of, you know, reps that I'm doing, weight that I'm using, all that kind of stuff. And it's been nice that an application is doing that. And I don't, I actually don't think it takes into account how hard I think workouts were. I think it's more of a retrospective thing that I actually don't take advantage of. But like being able to log in each day and see like, okay, I'm supposed to hit a PR today and I know what that number should be. I don't have to calculate it. I don't have to think about it. It's just like an right. endless, I don't know, Take it cuts so much bullshit out of trying to figure out how to work out and what to do. Um, so I, I don't know. That's awesome that BodBot's so, it, cause it seems so much more inclusive too, cause it's got everything from not just training, but it's got nutrition stuff attached to it as well, which is something I completely yeah, struggle does. with and ignore. Um, I ignore the nutrition stuff on it too. I use it strictly for the exercise piece, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that comes at a premium. I think that's with the plus plan or whatever. Got it. Um, but, but I'm just saying like it, it offers a lot of stuff at the free level that, you know, is is really great um it offers like targeted workouts with the with the uh with the plus version or whatever so like i really want to bulk up my arms um it will you know force you to do different exercises to get more mass on on your arms or whatever um what was the other one that we were mentioning uh train heroic i'll put a link in the description for the one that i use great uh all right so um with that i just want to there's one other thing that i want to mention briefly um you may have noticed there's a new administration in the White House. No. And as of yesterday, uh, the WhiteHouse.gov website was updated uh, to include a lot of accessibility options, such as dark mode, um, high contrast. And uh, it's it's also got like some, some nifty uh, tools on there. So I just want to give them a shout out. Uh, and if you haven't been on the White House, it's actually very usable. Um, the whitehouse.gov website. It's incredibly usable now, and it's just made me, uh, you know, proud to be an American. Isn't that so funny? Because I feel like, <laughs> like not too long ago, I felt like every kind of government website you would go on is not very usable. But now there's a lot of right. really great content that surrounds like user experience design that's you know government built or government funded. So it's kind of awesome to see that that people are really taking all that stuff into consideration when designing. Yeah, anyway, I just wanted to give him a shout out. All right, well, what do you say we get into this next part of the show? Yes, it's Human Factors News. This is the part of the show uh, all about Human Factors News. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. And anything is fair game. 
Last week, we talked about medical stuff, vaccine distribution. This week, we're talking a little bit about uh, transportation. Uh, Blake, what have we got up first this week? Transportation. All right. So the U.S. Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has determined the reports of sudden unintended acceleration involving four different Tesla models were due to user error. Wow, I'm kind of surprised. The NHTSA is denying a petition to formally review 600,062-109 vehicles and potentially recall them, stating there is no evidence of a design factor contributing to the increased likelihood of pedal misapplication. The theory provided of... The theory provided of a potential electronic cause of a SUA in the subject's vehicles is based upon inaccurate assumptions about the system design and its log data. Tesla had previously denied the claims, calling the petition completely false and outing the accuser as a Tesla short seller. Tesla wrote in a statement, We investigate every single incident where the driver alleges to us that the vehicle accelerated contrary to their input, and in every case where we had the vehicle's data, we confirmed that the car operated as designed. The company had said this last January. So in other words, the car the car accelerated if and only if the driver told it to do so, and it slows and stops when the driver applies the brake. So the NT. The NHTSA's investigation confirmed Tesla's own findings. This is pretty wild, Nick. I mean, I totally get being a little bit scared of things like this happening in very automated cars, but it seems like, yeah. you know, Tesla was really on top of it, and so is the, the board that's funded by the government backing them as well. I just, I, yeah, I mean, I love that Tesla's like, nah. Now nah, this this was users, but I, I mean it makes me wonder. There's okay, so let's let's actually break this down, right? Because the the whole issue here is that this sudden um, unintended acceleration, right? The SUA, that's what it's called. Uh, sudden unintended acceleration is caused by user error. Now the fact that it's happening in these vehicles makes me wonder that you know is it truly user error it's probably user fault is it user error and we can have this larger discussion about um or i guess it is user error but it, it whose fault is it right is it the user's fault for um and and to talk briefly about pedal misapplication that's that's when you mistake the gas pedal for the brakes or the brakes for the gas pedal um and when that happens the driver you know may push the pedal down even further when they think they're they're using the brakes. So that's what happens in that sudden acceleration, um, sudden un unintended acceleration. And, you know, with Tesla's, you have that, that ludicrous mode or whatever it's called, where it just, you know, ramps up so quickly. And so there's danger involved with that too. Um, but, but we can talk about whether or not who's at fault, right? Is it the, if it is in fact user error, um, is it because they, What's going on behind the scenes that's making them misinterpret the brake and the pedal? Because it's fairly standard in all vehicles. Is it just that the offset is, you know, far enough to make it seem like another type of vehicle? Like, I don't know. Do you have any speculation of what's going on here, Blake? It's really interesting because I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I get where all the claims were coming from. But they talk about in the beginning of the article that this is across four of their different Tesla models where they've identified that, okay, this was user error. So that makes me think that one of two things is happening here. Either it was reported multiple times across vehicle models, up to four up to four times maybe, um, or it just happened in one and so they tested all of them. But if, if I was to take a guess, Nick, I'd, I have a hard time with this one in speculating because I've never sat in a Tesla, so I actually don't know what the pedal is like. I'm going to go out on a really far-reaching limb and say that it's probably well-designed, um, and I would doubt that it's really unstandard in terms of what it feels like and then how the brake and the accelerating pedal are formed and put together. I would imagine they may even have like racing-style pedals inside of them, which would make them more kind of foot-friendly, if you will. But anyway, 
my guess would be, is this coming from people that haven't driven a Tesla before many times and they're getting used to a car? Because I could see that happening. Um, this is totally anecdotal and has nothing to do with this case. But I know my dad, when he first got his Tesla, he had a really hard time kind of just getting used to the car in general. Because um, he's older, he hadn't really driven a brand new car in a long time, actually hadn't been driving in a while. So the change in just the car style can be daunting. Like even me getting a new car a couple of years ago, the brake to acceleration radio was ratio was completely different to what I was used to. So I, I don't know. I would just, I would wonder and want to know like one how often had a person been using this car when they were reporting these errors? And if it happened across multiple people, what was that like across the sample? But it also, the other thing to consider here is there possibly is a lot of distracting elements in a Tesla, like with that giant screen in the middle. And there's also a lot of studies that go with, you know, attention and driving. And so you can make mistakes and you're not even really attuned to them. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of my, my guess here. But I, I'm really not sure how this all pans out. Yeah, so I think there's a couple things going on here. Um, if you look at Tesla pedals, right, they, they look fairly standard. I, in my um, uninformed opinion, I I think they look a little close in certain images, and so it's not out of the question to you know to accidentally press one instead of the other. Like maybe you press the brake and the pedal down at the same time, and the pedal takes precedence, or you know, I don't I don't know. Um, like like you, I've never driven a Tesla, so I can't account. I, I don't have a firsthand account to it. Um, all we really know is that this this lawsuit or this accusation came from. Uh, this guy who's uh, his name is Brian Sparks, and he's a short seller of uh, Tesla stock. And so, again, they're just trying to like it could just be that they're trying to make the company look bad um, to make money off the short sales, right? Like that that could be what's happening. Um, the uh, and special callback to Frank last episode, who we've been geeking out about stocks ever since um, last week. So. <laughs> <laughs> just since we're talking about short sellers um anyway so so i think there's there's a couple things going on here uh and i think you know personally my my speculation is that this is just a just a ploy from this person to in an effort to kind of rip off the company um but i think it's important to sort of visit this ruling and say that, that any of these claims are user error. And I'd be I'd be curious, and I don't think the article actually mentions this. Um, so, well, it does. So there was 232 sudden unintended uh, acceleration complaints that Sparks provided to the agency. Now, I, I, I am unsure if those are all from Sparks. I'd imagine not. I'd imagine he sourced them from uh, various uh, individuals that drive Teslas. And in every case, it sounds like both Tesla and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration have deemed uh, this uh, this sudden unintended acceleration as user error. Um, so I don't know if it's just a bunch of old guys who don't know how to drive. Uh, like, that's kind of my guess here, but I, I don't know. I actually wonder what... From the, I'm gonna get this acronym wrong. I'm gonna read it. The NHTSA when they were doing their analysis, because they they make this claim, which scuttles going and actually doing a recall that there's no evidence of a design factor contributing to increased likelihood of pedal misapplication. Wonder what that kind of analysis looks like, or what standards they have to you know go and look at for car manufacturing that would allow them to make those judgments. Because I after you said the thing about the pedal, I actually went and googled it, and I I do agree with you. I think they are they look a bit close, but if there's no specific design flaw that like a, a giant agency itself um, that's meant to be looking at this kind of stuff is calling out, then I would have to, you know, assume that their, their uh, kind of identification of how the design is put together is not the issue. But I, I think what's really cool here on top of all of this is Tesla already knowing like, okay, we've, we've put a lot of money into our design and thought process behind it. And I'm sure they've employed human factors professionals to do so, but they also included enough in their log data that would give them an 
give them probably pretty objective views of, okay, did the machine make a mistake? And how quickly can we find out? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's great that they have the design and like the data that's always running in the background to kind of help either understand if these claims are true or prove them false in this case. Yeah. I want to, I want to back up. You mentioned uh, the analysis piece. Like what does that look like from the NHTSA? And I want to comment on that because if you dig deep enough, you can actually find the document, this report the NHTSA has published. And in section 3.0, there's an analysis section. And I'll just kind of highlight some of these uh, for all of you wondering what kind of analysis goes into this, right? So they analyze these crashes identified uh, by the petitioner for connection to sudden unintended um, acceleration. They analyzed EDR or Tesla vehicle logs from both... Uh, or both from 118 crash incidents. I'm not sure what EDR is. Um, maybe a quick Google on that. Um, yeah, uh, endpoint detection and response, maybe. Uh, and and so they they analyze that. They reviewed the crash incident uh, reported um, in these several documents. Uh, they reviewed Tesla's system safeguards for the accelerator pedal position uh, sensor assembly and motor control system. So they, they looked at the mechanics behind it. They reviewed two defect theories referenced in the petition. So they, they looked at what could potentially have caused it. They reviewed the brake system designs for the subject vehicles, and they reviewed service history information for the accelerator pedal assemblies, motor control systems, and brake systems for 204 of the 232 vehicles identified in these uh, incident reports. Um, so it looks like they've done their due diligence here and actually have gone through and, um, you know, looked at these in a variety of different factors and found that, yep, it's definitely the user. Well, yeah, they even went outside of the problem, which I think is like a traditional human factors thing to do, right? Like maybe there's some kind of extant issue that's there that maybe not, may not just be directly linked to the acceleration pedal. So it, it puts a lot of scrutiny on the design itself. And it's, it's awesome to know what kind of what the steps are in terms of the, the depth of the analysis you would have to do to kind of figure this out. But what I'm a little confused about is like the amount of vehicles that were looked at. So I don't know if that's related to a specific series or, you know, I don't know, manufacturing deployment. that They just decided, okay, let's take a look at this series of cars based off of these kind of claims that we're seeing. I think it was what data was available. Yeah. Um, so a little bit further in the report, they actually, you know, talk about uh, the crash data itself. So all these incidents actually report, uh, they ended in crashes. And it's kind of telling, uh, or at least I can see a pattern here. <laughs> of uh, of of uh, a high level pattern of what might be going on um so just let's break down the numbers here really quick so uh we're, we're looking at 217 cases right would you like to take a guess of how many of those happened in a parking lot oh probably 200 no but over half right we have 114 in a parking lot would you like to take a guess of how many happened in a driveway let's say 50 46 that was close uh so so we're looking at you know over over 75 percent of them happening from a uh a parked position you know in a driveway or a parking lot um you also have 20 at a traffic light stop and go i i think what's happening here is absolutely clear is <laughs> they're pressing the <laughs> wrong button uh <laughs> they're pushing the wrong pedal um you have 12 in a parking garage Four in city traffic, four in stop-and-go traffic, four on highway traffic, three at a stop sign, uh, three at a charging station, two at a uh, street-side parking, two at a drive through one at a school drop-off lane, one at a car wash, and one at a gated exit. Uh, so, and, and then they actually go through and define how much of that... Um, you know, data was available for each of those cases, right? So I'm just going to go through one of these, right? The parking lot example. They have uh, 61 of those 114 uh, cases. They actually reviewed that crash data. And then they had 44 of those where the crash data was not available uh, for one reason or another. And then, um, you know, for, uh, for nine of them, the crash data was not obtained. So they didn't even get it. Uh, so... 
they've they've broken it down and you know just from even looking at the numbers i can almost tell what's going on here um you know there's there's a lot of distractions in a lot of these places and if you're distracted and you put your foot on the wrong pedal that's just me speculating. I don't know. Yeah. I could read further into the I report I think here, you're but. right, though. I mean, because all of those instances, you could be feasibly doing something else, like prior to starting your car to get out of your parking space or, you know, sitting in the drive through line looking at your phone and you make mistakes. Um, so mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. I'm glad that you pulled open the actual analysis. Take a look at that. I wonder, And I wonder if some of the missing data is just up to, like, people in general not either giving it out, because they said, like, for some of them, they just couldn't obtain it. Um, so that's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I bet you it's a it's a, uh, um, a consent thing, right? I consent to you having my data. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That I, you know, that I, that I'm a, that I'm an, that I'm a person that pressed the wrong button. Anyway, um, that's just me uh that's that's me speculating um but yeah i think this is a really great read if you actually want to look into what an nhtsa report looks like uh it is included on the original article they go into everything they talk about um you know the theories behind it they talk about uh the braking system the system safeguards they talk about uh complaints they they talk about the vehicle service history review um, and so it's it's a it's a great read and, and a more in depth sort of uh, analysis of this event. Um, so if you want to, if you if you're uh, still early on in your career and wonder how this is done at the NHTSA, this they, they break it all down for you in this analysis piece. Uh, Blake, did you have any other closing thoughts on the human error that the NHTSA has deemed was the cause of these tesla vehicles crashing i just think it's awesome that this is like i don't know because this is true human factors nature and attention type of stuff being exposed by an agency that has to do this and i love the fact that the branch of the nhtsa that actually carried this out is called the office of defects investigation so it's just i don't know this is just just a cool article and it's it's too bad that i didn't know about the office of defects investigation before i would geek out on reading some of these different articles like this now you know. Well, I just want to thank all of our patrons for actually uh, choosing the news this week. We introduced it last week. The Patreon members are now choosing the news, um, and we've, we're putting up a poll every Monday for you, and you're actually in control of the show. We've decided Blake and I are not putting the show together anymore. It's all on you. It's a new year, new us. Uh, and thank you thank you to our friends over at TechCrunch for providing the article. If you want to follow along, we do post links to all the articles uh, in our in our Slack channel. Uh, you can find us over there for more discussion. Um, you know, obviously, we won't talk about all of them on the show. Otherwise, our Patreons would be upset. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll uh, be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember... It depends. All right, and we're back. Yes, our Patreon is where it's happening. We have a lot of things going on over there. We have Human Factors Minute for you. We need to really desperately update this commercial. We got Human Factors Minute for you. It's where we take a minute of your time to talk about cool, in-depth Human Factors topics. We also, like I said earlier, Patreons choose the news. And you know what? If you leave, if you're a Patreon, if you're a patron, what, are they, what do they call them? Patrons? Patreons? Anyway, Patrons, if you're, I think. I don't know. <laughs> if you're a patron and and you leave us a comment on there, you get straight to the front of the line for the It Came From section. Um, we got a lot of fun stuff up there. We always, you know, kind of update these rewards. We want to make sure it's it's worthwhile to the people that help support the show and keep us up, you know? <laughs> uh, web hosting and um, 
the uh, the the hosting of the podcast itself. It's not cheap. So thank you for everyone. We really appreciate it. All right, let's go ahead and switch gears and get into this next part of the it show. It came from. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. Uh, like I said, if you're a patron, you can get to the front of the line by just leaving us a comment. Uh, but I have two here this week, Blake. Um, and I was the one who picked these out, and I really like both of these. So I'm just going to read them. Do it. Um, I'm actually going to go to number two first because I feel like this will flow better. Uh, Blake, how long do you stay at a company? This is from user Jack 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 on the UX sub. Uh, this is uh, I've been at my current company for a few years. It's an awesome company for, to work for. I have a great team, a lot of autonomy, great work-life balance, competitive salary. I've accomplished a lot and grown in my time here, but as time goes on, I feel like I'm doing a lot of the same thing over and over. So I've been taking on side projects to challenge myself in other ways, streamlining processes, mentorship, etc. Has anyone else recently gone through this? You work at a great company, but the work starts to feel mundane. I'm debating whether to start thinking about looking somewhere else in order to build on what I've learned in a new environment, or should I suck it up? Be appreciative for what I have and continue to find new ways to challenge myself here. Blake, what do you think? What would you do if you were in user Jack Jack Jack's position here? So if it was me, I would leave. Um, I'm a big proponent. So let's let me you know qualify that answer real quick. So it seems like this person is a is a career oriented person. Like they want to grow, and I'm assuming a UX career, right? So if they want to continue doing that and they're not just working the UX job because it's something that's okay and it pays the bills and you're doing other side stuff that that's where the passion is, then it seems like it's time to grow. So you obviously have options, right? If it's a great company, you believe in the message, the work-life balance is great and the salary is great. I think it's time to definitely approach your management and say, where can I grow and see if that path is path exists if it does not and you know it doesn't exist for you to go up anymore kind of think about what would you like to be doing Um, where could you see yourself could you see yourself at a higher level that's not doing the same work anymore that maybe you're guiding the entire design vision for argument's sake across an entire not just product but like fleet of products i have no idea what this person works on so some of this advice sucks a little bit but at the end of the day if if you don't see any avenues that either exist or you can create at your own company, it's time to go look somewhere else because you, but I think what you can do is use these side projects and other challenges you're creating for yourself to figure out where you want to go in terms of growth in another company. Um, I think it's, it's one of those situations where if you know the path you want to go walking down now, it's easier to figure out what steps to take. Whereas like you, if you're kind of feeling like, man, All the shit that I'm doing at work is the same. I don't really know what else I want to do. It's time for you to probably do some self-reflection first before kind of making the next move. Um, But I don't know. That's awesome. We don't get many senior questions through the the subreddit. So this was actually really cool. Uh, It's a great picnic. But what what would you advise this person to do? Good old Jack. Yeah. I'm conflicted on this. Um, So I think it comes down to what you want. Um you know if it's if it's salary you want you can probably jump salary if you change jobs if it's um you know if if it's self fulfillment you want because you're not growing um you should probably change jobs it, it'll push you in ways a new job will push you in ways even if it's the same stuff that you've done it will push you in different ways um if however you are looking for you know it's the whole like do I, I don't know. It, here's my, here's my bottom line. It doesn't hurt to look. It doesn't hurt to look. If anything, you've seen what else is out there and you can, like Blake said, bring it back to your company and, and kind of say, Hey, look, this is, I was offered this and, and this seems like something I'd really want to do. I really like the company. Um, you know, I love my team. I love having the autonomy here. I love having the work-life balance I have here. I love the salary I have here. Uh, you know, you could probably bump that up at some point anyway. But but the whole point is that what's important to you? And I think a, a lot of it comes down to that self-reflection, um, you know, and there's no right or wrong answer. Like I, if this person decided to get a new job, 
I wouldn't blame them if they decided to stay at the same company. I wouldn't blame them. Like it's it's one of those weird questions where we get where there's no clear cut answer, and it's just a matter of what's important to you. Um, I think if you wanted to play it safe, the job market right now is a little weird, especially with the pandemic. But I think um, you know it's not out of the question to do these side projects, and maybe you get fulfillment there. That's you know I I get fulfillment out of some of these side projects that I work on. Um, but you know, I still love my job. So it's, it's like one of those things where, uh, and I'm not growing in my job currently. Let me, let me say that. Like, I'm not, I'm not being pushed necessarily, um, like I've been pushed in the past and that's okay. I, I, I don't need to be pushed right now, maybe someday soon, but not right now, not in the middle of a pandemic. And it, you know, it, it all kind of goes with where you're at in your life. Do you need to be pushed? Do you need a higher salary? Do you need a change of scenery? Uh, and so it's it's kind of up to you to evaluate that type of thing. Um, so that's where I'm at. It it damn it, Blake. It depends. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I don't know, man. Can I reiterate something in here? Yeah, because I, I think this is maybe my. I don't know. If I was this person, I would want to have a friend that would say this to me. So I'm going to reread the last part here. So I'm debating whether to start thinking about looking elsewhere in order to build on what I've learned in a new environment, or should I suck it up, be appreciative appreciative for what I have, and continue to find new ways to challenge myself here? So if... if I think there's there's some good truth in here, but I don't think the answer is to suck it up. I think you should be appreciative for what you have, but also don't confuse it for the fact that you probably worked really hard to get where you are, so you deserve where to be where you are. So that's that's like the real take home piece is don't like beat yourself up over like I should just appreciate what I have and stay here and do the same thing. No, because obviously it's not enough for you at the moment. So that that's kind of my last kind of parting piece for that one. Yeah, I mean, at the same at this on the on the other side of the coin, that they uh, understand that they have a lot going for them, and they understand that they should be appreciative of it, right? So, I, like, I, I get it. I get it from either perspective. Do what's right for you. I know that's such a a shitty answer for this question, but it depends. And I'm sorry, it depends. Um, all right, Blake, I'm gonna get into this next question because I really like this one too. This one's a long one. So stick with me as I read this because it's story time here. Woo! This one also comes from the UX subreddit. Um, this one's from user Zoom Run Zoom One. Uh, how have your teams worked on fostered, or, or how have teams you've worked on fostered inclusive cultures or environments? What's worked well? Um, so again, this is a doozy. I'm going to read this here. I'm working on my first gig in UX. When I first started at my company, there were two male designers on a team who had been there for a while, at least five or six years. I didn't work with them much, but I heard negative feedback from other designers on our team, all of whom were women. Especially what the feedback boiled down to was that these two guys weren't very collaborative, were dismissive of ideas, and were controlling or combative when it came to project work. I was pretty much told to watch my back around them. It never crossed my mind that this had anything to do with discrimination. I chalked it up to the fact that they were experienced professionally and had strong opinions, and that our management was letting poor behavior slide because these two could get work done on time and effectively. Over the past few years, we've had a four male we've had four male contract designers work on projects on our team, and sadly, my perspective has started to shift for the worse. My personal experience with these gents has mirrored what other female colleagues have experienced. I have been dismissed, belittled, and circumvented so that these guys could pursue their own agendas. Okay, we're not done yet. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Take a sip of water. (sighs) Okay, continuing on. One of my female colleagues just quit as well. She told me privately that this was largely due to being bullied by both the male designers on our team. What she experienced was pretty horrendous, things like being told she should stop talking and be quiet in a meeting when they disagreed with her. Ugh, what the heck is going on here? I previously worked in another field outside UX and have never ever felt like this when working with men who were my peers in that capacity. 
I have also had multiple male mentors, all of whom I felt were very professional, collaborative, and supportive. I believe what I have experienced in UX has just been plain old bad luck in terms of the men I have worked with. I don't by any means want to generalize. I'm very much aware that women can have these same traits and behaviors, and and I am confident that they are... Uh, there are kick-ass male UXers out there. It took me a second to <laughs> decipher that one. I also know this is a cultural issue where I work. Behavior like this shouldn't be tolerated, but it is. I've read and heard about, anecdotally, about discrimination women face in the workplace, particularly those who work in technology. I don't want to slide into a place where I let this kind of thing impact me, but I won't lie. I've had my moments at work where I've just thought to myself, well, that was demoralizing. My question is, from a broader perspective, how have teams you worked on fostered inclusive cultures and environments? What's been effective? Again, please know I'm not trying to make a blanket statement about men or male designers in any way. I just hope that uh, to take some kind of productive action to encourage and promote a more inclusive team environment. And I'm curious how ever, what others have experienced. Thanks so much. Blake, have you ever experienced this? No, I haven't. I So... This is this is tough. Maybe I have, but not in the same way. Because I, I mean, I've been demoralized on some pretty intense levels in different jobs, um, and it doesn't feel good. And I think there is a real problem out there in the world, and it's you don't you don't really hear too many people talking talking about it. Where you have people that are good at their job, but they are generally horrible to everyone else they're around and make their lives kind of miserable feeling. So it makes working in a place worse. Um, and often management will chalk it up to, it's like, well, they get the job done. Well, yeah, but like at what cost to other people's work life? You know what I mean? Right. So I can sympathize with that. Uh, I don't know. This is, it's, it's discouraging to hear about, uh, basically because you, it's the last thing that you want to be happening in a field where it's about making things better for all people like you you talked a minute or when we started the show about accessibility things being added to government websites it's like well we work in a field where we're supposed to make just life easier or more accessible or we work in a field that should feel very inclusive but i am afraid that it doesn't and i i want i i think that that applies both to human factors and the ux world not like segregating one versus the other um but one thing that I don't know is I don't know what companies that I've worked for either currently or in the past have done to kind of circumvent this issue because I, I I really I can't point to any specific you know things that have been done but that I know have had direct impact to changing culture or dealing with this kind of behavior from different people. Yeah. Uh, culture is hard to change, but uh, to me, like the first thing, um, that, you know, I, I, and it's easy to say what you would do in this situation and it's, you know, difficult to do. I'd imagine the first thing I would do in this situation is talk to HR, um, document every case in which this has occurred, uh, try your best to recall details, um and and bring it up to hr and, and and see what they do about it because it is not your responsibility to uh confront them about it and um it shouldn't be your responsibility to confront them about it 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 should be on the company to do something about toxic employees and um if they don't then I would pursue. I would pursue a lawsuit against that company um, for discriminatory hiring practices, right? Like, or well, not hiring, but for employing uh, people that are just shitty to other people. Like, this is not a great look for a company, and and any company would be happy to get rid of people like this, uh, or they should be anyway. Um, the larger, well, let me talk about experience first. I've actually had a situation where there have been um, males that have been dismissive on projects that I've worked on of of uh, of fellow co-workers who happen to be female, their comments on, on a certain project. And, um, you know, I've often heard that it's demoralizing. Uh, I've, I've heard this thing before, and this is one of the reasons why I picked it. And it's just, it's so frustrating from that perspective. You know, if, if you work in a company... Um, 
where it's possible to do this, uh, it might be worth talking about a switch in in teams, right? It might be uh, time to change to a different team um, and and get away from these individuals if if the problem is as bad as it says or as as, as it sounds like it is. And so um, always difficult to talk about these topics, but just in terms of fostering um, an inclusive environment, there's a couple things that I've done, at least in, in my own experience, um, that I, I've had colleagues pull me aside and say that was very appreciative. So this is, uh, this is for um, anyone listening can, can participate in this, but if somebody is speaking and somebody else cuts them off, uh, you have an obligation to jump in and said, and say, hold on, so-and-so is speaking, let them finish, and call out the bullshit in the moment and discourage that type of interruption that can often um, indirectly discount somebody else's opinion on the topic. Um, also, if you know, if you're looking to better yourself, there's certain ways of providing feedback that don't come off like being an asshole. You can certainly provide feedback that say, hey, I really like this element, but what if we took that element and shifted it in just a slight way to make it this way, right? Like, there's a way to provide feedback that doesn't make you sound like a dick. And it just comes down to not being a dick. Don't be a dick to other people. Like, it's such, <laughs> it sounds so easy. And, you know, there's there's two sides to this where it's like, what if you're, you're the one being, um, you know, there's obviously don't be a dick. And that's, that's easy, I think, for anyone listening to this show. Don't be a jerk. Just be kind to other humans. And I, I don't see that happening a lot in this field. I do know what happens, but like, don't do it. Then there's the other side of you're being mistreated in some way. Um, you know, and I think finding an ally, finding someone that you can confide in to help stand up for you in those moments where, uh, you know, like, Hey, so-and-so cut me off in this last meeting. Um, you know, I trust you. You're my you're my colleague. I I would really appreciate next time if you would just step up and say something uh, because I don't want to be, you know, find someone to be kind of your champion if if you feel like you're being discriminated against. And I think that really helps foster that that care and appreciation for others. Um, you know, I've seen it time and time again. Uh, a woman is speaking and some some man cuts her off and it's like, no, let let the other person speak like they were speaking what why are you you don't need to jump in right here they didn't even finish their thought uh so yeah that's that's where i'm at with that <laughs> yeah i think the one part that just i've only kind of caught on to rereading some of this is it's it sucks that they've had various experiences in the same company with different sets of people so it looks like it starts off with two people that have been you know you know working at a place for a senior level amount of time and then they also encounter the same shit from contracted people. So that's just, that's discouraging to me that there is, in this case, enough males out there that are working in design roles that are just acting like, I don't know, assholes for really no good reason. I mean, of course, I'm not in the in the situation, but I understand as somebody who does design, like part of your job is to get and receive feedback and understand it. Part of your job is also to be combative when you have a good solution and you're being, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, fed somebody else's design because that's how they want it versus what is good design. And so it it, it is a field where tensions can be high in meetings, but you have to be, you know, a professional about it that's why you're working somewhere and being a professional is listening to your colleagues and just generally being a you know good human um yeah i think the the larger thing that concerns me here is like the bullying aspect because that's that's just bullshit and that, that that's not even like you can't even chalk that up to well, like you, you steamrolled my idea and it's something I've been working on for five to ten years. Like, no, this is just people being horrible people to others for the sake of it. 
And so I don't know. This this to me is one of those instances where yes, Nick, you've you've given some great actionable feedback, and I think the biggest one is taking stuff to HR because this is an instance I think where a company is allowing nonsense to happen, and either they're not aware of it or it's just not somewhere yeah. you need to be working. You know, and and there shouldn't be fear of retribution either. Like th- that, if there is fear of retribution, there's a larger problem at the company. Oh yeah, and. Uh, you know, that that again would probably result in a lawsuit. Uh, and don't be afraid to take that path. Again, it's a lot easier to say that when, you know, your only job uh, is, you know, your your job is your source of income and your livelihood. Um, but, you know, I would also give one last parting advice. If you hear in the hallway somebody speaking ill about somebody else uh, without them present, um, you know, speak up and say, hey, that's not cool to talk about somebody behind them their back they're not here to defend themselves what what the fuck like that's not don't do that shit like call them out on it people don't like when they get called out. it's like calling out a racist on a joke right it's like if you ask them to explain it they they suddenly realize you know it's either not funny or you just realize how terrible of a person they are um and so you know having somebody explain why they feel about somebody else a certain way uh you know, in front of others, it might be, uh, it might have that same effect. So anyway, just don't be a dick. Take home message right there. Eat your vegetables. Don't be a dick. Exactly. All right, let's get out of here. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week. Uh, if you hated it, blame our patrons. You can join the discussion. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They picked out a great one. I loved it this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us all over our social channels at H factors podcast. You can, you can email the show show at humanfactorscast.com you like what you hear you want to support the show you can do that in a couple ways you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice uh make it good we like those reviews you can tell a colleague let it let your friends know about the show or you could consider supporting us on patreon if you want to help us out financially keep the show afloat and of course you can always reach us at our home on the web humanfactorscast.com i want to thank mr blake arnstor for being on the show today where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about crash reports if you want to talk about crash reports you can always find me in the human factors cast slack at blake but otherwise you can find me across social media at don't panic ux as for me i've been your host nick rome you can find me across social media at nick underscore rome thanks again for tuning in to human factors cast until next time it depends. depends Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.